Hey everyone, uh, so glad you are joining us um, here at Christ Community. Um, if you are new um, to this experience, welcome. We're so glad you are here. And if you've been around uh, Christ Community for a while, um, welcome to you also. Man, I miss you guys. I miss seeing you. I miss uh, saying hi and just checking in in the lobby and shaking hands. I mean, it feels like light years ago when we were actually shaking each other's hands. Um, but I wanted you to know, I really miss you. I'm grateful for the online um, capabilities that we have to join in this. But man, I want you to know that I really miss you. One of the things that I've really enjoyed and helped me has helped me feel connected is the Bible reading plan. I don't know if you've um, jumped into this, but on Palm Sunday, we started a Bible reading plan that goes to through Pentecost Sunday. And we're basically going through the book of John at a leisurely pace where we can have time to meditate on, on the same passage every day. And so it's been an encouragement for me when I'm doing that Bible reading to know that others at Christ Community are also um, spending time in that same passage. The men's group I'm in, we are also, you know, committed to reading that passage and writing down what we feel like the Lord is saying. And so that's been really fun. And so if you haven't um, jumped into that yet, you can do so really easily. Just go on our website and you can find the Bible reading plan. You know, more than anything, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Um, I'm praying for you um, regularly. And um, in the midst of all that's going on, I just want you to know that you are in my heart and I love you guys. So let me pray for us as we uh, begin this teaching. Father, thank you for your presence with us in the midst of all that's going on in our lives. And we thank you for your word to us, the Bible, and the opportunity right now to look into your word and to receive life from it. And so I pray that you would do that. Holy Spirit, fill me right now. Fill my words. Use these words to impact me, to impact everyone who is watching and engaging in this. So we welcome you here right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are um, beginning today, we're beginning a new teaching series entitled Finding Peace in the Midst of a Storm. Now, whether you're struggling in the midst of this COVID-19 situation, or maybe you're thriving, you know, in, 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 in terms of what's going on, the reality is all of us experience storms in our lives. And here's what I'm discovering in this current storm. One of the things that for me personally, one of the things that for me goes out the window in the midst of a crisis is my experience of peace. I mean, instead, I find myself becoming more anxious, more self-centered, more irritable, less patient with my wife or with my son, Josh. I mean, there's nothing like a shelter-in-place order to, to increase relational friction and tension. And in those moments, I long for an experience of peace that pervades my entire being. And I can have it. I can have it. That's exactly the kind of peace God offers us. A whole-bodied peace that impacts our hearts, our minds, our relationships, our entire being. So the question is, how can we experience that kind of peace? Well, early on in this whole COVID situation, um, COVID-19 situation, I was doing my regular Bible reading, and I happened to be, I found myself in the book of Acts, 
in chapter 27, where the apostle Paul, due to his nagging habit of always talking about Jesus, he ends up being arrested and he was being held as a prisoner on a ship to Rome in winter. Now, I can't think, I can't really think of a more miserable situation to be in than to be a prisoner on a ship in winter, but it actually got worse. In the middle of this journey, they experience a horrendous storm, not just a little, you know, few hour squall or a day long squall. This is a ma- this was a major storm that lasted for two weeks. It was brutal. So the sailors begin throwing cargo overboard. Then they, then they, they throw the ship's tackle overboard. At one point, Luke who is writing the book of Acts, and he's actually on this ship with the Apostle Paul, he admitted this. Verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Everyone on this ship is feeling anxious and hopeless, except Paul, the guy who was in chains. He stands before the sailors and he says this, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. So I found myself reading this passage over and over again, wondering how was Paul so calm in the midst of circumstances that were so awful? I mean, in this passage, we see Paul exuding what I recently heard referred to as a non-anxious presence, a non-anxious presence. I love that. There was a tangible peace that Paul lived in and exuded, and it brought life and hope to everyone on that ship. See, that's what biblical peace does. It not only brings wholeness to us, to our being, it also brings wholeness and life to others. So as I was reflecting on Paul's response in this storm, it really stirred in me this desire to figure out what Paul's secret was, to figure out how Paul experienced this peace so that we could experience that kind of peace in the midst of the storm that we're going through, a storm that seems to have no end, like the one in Acts, right? A storm that's causing us to throw overboard things we never imagined having to let go of like our ability to go to our school prom or to hug a friend or to enjoy an evening at a restaurant or to go play in a park or to go to a Rockies game. And not only that, I mean, this storm is threatening us in ways we couldn't have imagined six weeks ago. Our our health, our financial security, our job security, we are in a storm that is robbing many of us of peace. And yet, again, we have this example of Paul who exuded this non-anxious presence in the midst of a storm. 
So again, this question, how can we experience that kind of peace, this deeply rooted, solid, courageous, calm peace in the midst of this storm? Well, Paul shows us, not only in in his example in Acts chapter 27, but also in his teaching. We actually have a letter from the Apostle Paul, that he wrote to a group of dear friends of his who were experiencing a storm. They were experiencing suffering. They were experiencing opposition to their faith. They were experiencing circumstances that were causing anxiety and and despair. And so near the end of this letter to the believers in Philippi, the city of Philippi, Paul specifically addresses this issue of peace, of how we can experience the kind of peace that he experienced, no matter what we're going through in our lives. And so that's what we're going to be doing um, over the next, in this series, over the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at, the, at Philippians chapter 4 in order to learn how we can be a non-anxious presence in the midst of a raging storm. Okay, so Paul begins this very powerful section of scripture with these words. Now, if you're comfortable Feel free to read these out loud with me. Okay, here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. In these 11 words, Paul articulates a foundational principle for us experiencing peace in the midst of a storm. See, Paul had learned this secret. If you want to experience peace in the midst of a storm, Make the choice to rejoice. Make the choice to rejoice. As we're going to see today, that one choice that we all can make has a huge impact upon our experience of peace in our hearts and our minds, no matter what we're going through. Which is why Paul is so adamant about this. Look again at what he says here. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I mean, Paul is like, look, I don't want you just glossing over this because it's kind of this simple phrase. This principle, Paul's saying, look, this principle can change your life, which is why I'm actually gonna say it again, rejoice. I will say it again, rejoice. This is a choice that we all can make. This is a practice that all of us can engage in and it will have an immediate and positive impact in our lives. Okay, so let's unpack this practice that Paul is describing. And and let me do so by saying right up front what this is not. What this is not. What Paul is describing here is not a a pithy, you know, feel-good, fortune cookie kind of self-help advice. This is not simply positive thinking, be happy, look for a silver lining in every situation. No, no, no. It, It actually goes much deeper than that. Paul is specifically describing what we are to rejoice in. He doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. He doesn't say rejoice in your suffering. Put on a fake smile and pretend that everything is well, even though it's not. Fake it till you make it. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul says, in the middle of difficult circumstances, make a choice to rejoice in the Lord. Choose to rejoice in who God is. Now we're gonna unpack that idea in just a moment. Um, but before we do that, I wanna, I wanna look more closely at this concept of rejoicing. 
What does it mean to authentically rejoice? Not a plastic, fake rejoicing, but a real rejoicing. Well, genuine rejoicing, it, it, it requires two things. First of all, a sense of delight. A sense of delight. I mean, rejoicing happens when our hearts are delighting in something. Our one-year-old daughter takes her first steps. Our child graduates from high school. We get our job back. We save for months and finally are able to purchase a new car. The, the stock market goes up. The economy, the economy improves. We score our best round on the golf course. I mean, when these kinds of blessings happen to us, our hearts are naturally filled with joy. There is a sense of delight that occurs in us. And that delight moves us to the second aspect of rejoicing, and that's expressing our delight. We cheer for our child as they walk across the stage to get their diploma. We shout yes when we catch that huge fish or when our baseball team wins. We lift our hands in triumph, you know, when our boss calls us telling us that we have our job back. Genuine rejoicing is not fake. It is a natural response. When our heart delights in something and we express that delight in some joyful way. See, that's what rejoicing is. And that's what Paul is urging us to practice in our lives. But again, notice the object of our rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always. See, here's what Paul is saying. Take time regularly, take time regularly to delight in who God is, and then to express that delight in some tangible way. Now, please hear me. Paul is not, he's not talking about just saying praise the Lord every two minutes, you know, like some mechanical rote ritual. That gets old really quick, and it can honestly become sort of artificial. No, he, he's not talking about that. He is talking about taking the time to actually ponder who God is how amazing God is, and to let that reality pour into your heart and fill your heart. It's what the psalmist describes in Psalm 37, verse 4, in this way. Take delight in the Lord. Another translation of this I love, it says, take exquisite delight in who God is. See, that's what Paul is inviting us to experience that's what Paul's inviting us to actually practice. He, he is inviting us to regularly stop in the midst of our stress and our storms and to let our heart delight in who God is. To let our heart get filled up with the goodness and the glory and the presence and the wonder of God. Now, it is at this point that many of us struggle with this idea of delighting in God. And here's why. Here's why. It's, it, 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 for many of us, it's because our, per, our perception of God does not fill our heart with delight. Honestly, a lot of us perceive God as being cold, distant, uncaring, emotionally disconnected. Others of us perceive God as being angry, vindictive, his arms are crossed, he always has a scowl on his face. See, see, we often get these perceptions of God from, from bad experience, negative experiences in our past. Maybe with some judgmental, legalistic, so-called Christians 
who yelled a lot more than they loved. Or maybe we grew up in a home where we didn't have, didn't really experience emotional connection and love from our, from our father, our parents or whatever. And so, so we end up with, unintentionally, we end up with this negative perception of God, which makes us have absolutely no desire to delight in him. I mean, you're, you're, you're pretty much, you're gonna pretty much distance yourself from him. And understandably so. I mean, really, understandably so. I mean, who wants to delight in an angry, distant, uncaring God? But when we begin to see what God is really like, suddenly we want to delight in him. We actually want to delight in him. So what are some specific things about God that Paul delighted in? We, ac- we, we actually see Paul, we see this in action in Paul in the Acts 27 passage that um, we read earlier. Now imagine this scene. He's on the ship, rain is pelting everyone. This is day 14 of the storm. The ship is swaying back and forth. It's starting to fall apart. Waves are crashing over the sides of the ship. The sailors have just dumped most of their cargo. That's the scene. And Paul stands up right then. He stands before them and he says, Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. In the midst of this desperate situation, we see Paul inwardly rejoicing in and being rooted in two specific attributes of God. The first is God's love. Paul says, last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong. What a beautiful way to describe his relationship to God. Paul knew that he belonged to God. See, this is what the gospel promises us. I know that gospel word may be new to you or whatever, but hear me. This is what the gospel promises us. The gospel is not about trying really hard to make yourself acceptable to a grumpy God who doesn't really like you anyway. No, no, no. The gospel is this incredible news that even though we are self-absorbed and broken, in Christ, in Jesus, we are actually, we can actually be adopted into God's family. We are welcomed into his family as beloved sons and daughters. We belong in his family. In Christ, we are loved and valued. We are his. I mean, do, do, you ever, do you ever take a moment to just ponder that reality? To just ponder this reality that you belong to God. So in our home, we have two dogs that we absolutely love. They're both golden doodles. One is a mini doodle, um, Robbie and Oliver, their names. They bring such joy to our lives. They love snuggling close to us when we're on the couch. They love just being near to us when we're having dinner. They'll just kind of lay at our feet. I, mean, I am so glad they are a part of our family. I mean, and we don't treat them like we would treat a, a stray dog who, who wanders into our yard. No, they belong to us. And what's so cool is that they just live in that reality. I mean, here are a few photos that I've taken just in the last few days uh, about this. I mean, they, they just know how to relax in the truth that they belong to us. They don't worry about where their next meal is coming from. 
They don't struggle to fall asleep at night, wondering if the heat's going to come on tomorrow. They don't, they don't freak out in the midst of a snowstorm outside. They, they, they relax and sleep anytime, day or night. <laughs> they know they belong to us and that we're going to take care of them. Now, that's how I feel about a dog. Imagine how the God of the universe feels towards you. Imagine how he feels towards you. Do you know, do you know, really know that you belong to him? That you are a valued, beloved member of his family? And, and, and do you ever stop and just delight in that truth? Do you ever stop and just relax in that truth? See, Paul lived in this conscious delight in belonging to the God of the universe because of what Jesus had done for him on the cross. Now, we know from Paul's letters, he wrote a number of letters in the New Testament. We know from the letters of Paul that Paul often would rejoice in this reality. He'd be writing, and all of a sudden, he would just go off on this rejoicing in the fact that he belonged to God. And Paul urges us to stop in the midst of our busy lives, to stop and rejoice in this reality as well, whether we're in the middle of a storm or not. This is applicable to all of us, to stop and rejoice in the reality that you belong to him. You belong to him. Now, this doesn't make the storm go away, but it totally changes our perspective in the storm. Now, another thing that Paul rejoiced in, in addition to God's love, another thing he rejoiced in is God's lordship. He says, last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Paul was choosing to live under a radically different paradigm than I do most of the time. Just being honest, my instinctive paradigm, especially in a storm, is control, <laughs> right? Control, man, controlling as much as I can control, right? Just controlling things. See, Paul was not interested in controlling things. He viewed himself as a servant of God. He says, the God whom I serve. Paul's posture was a posture of surrender. He knew that his God was Lord of the storm, which is an incredibly freeing perspective to have. I mean, Paul's perspective was, look, I'm not in charge of this. God is. I'm not in charge of this storm. God is. I'm not in charge of these circumstances. God is, right? And I'm, I'm just surrendering to his purposes. That's how Paul lived. That's how Paul lived. Now, again, that doesn't mean everything turns out smelling like a rose. I mean, Paul acknowledges to the sailors a few verses later that their ship is going to be destroyed. Even though they're going to be saved, they're going to be rescued, the ship is going to be destroyed. He knows that this storm is going to have a negative impact, but Paul was able to see this situation from a different perspective, that God is ultimately in charge, and so I'm going to trust him. This wasn't about Paul trying to control the circumstances. This was about Paul trusting his Lord to be at work in the circumstances. See, Paul was living out this reality that he communicated to a, in another letter to the church at Rome. We actually looked at this last week, this chapter last week. Um, but in the midst of chapter eight, in the midst of their suffering, check out what Paul says here. This is amazing. 
And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, those who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, Paul says, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, this doesn't mean that we have a God who sends viruses and who causes tornadoes and diseases and death. No, 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 no. All of that horrible stuff became a reality after Genesis 3. Genesis 1 and 2, there wasn't any of that. In God's perfect world he initially created, there wasn't any of that. It was in Genesis 3 that the world began living in rebellion against God and the natural effects of sin and death were unleashed. You know, I hear people talking about saying things like, oh, how could a loving God send this virus that's killing thousands of people? Look, I totally get that question. I totally get that question. I would have a hard time trusting a God who sends disease and who causes tornadoes and traffic accidents. I don't believe God does that. I don't believe God does that. I don't for a moment believe that God sent this virus. But I do believe that he is able to use these things, no matter how painful or hard, to use these things to accomplish his larger purposes in the midst of them. I remember hearing a story about a concert pianist who was getting ready to perform in front of a huge crowd and he was off stage. And just before he was getting ready to be introduced and to walk on stage, a little girl who was sitting in the front row with her parents, she kind of slipped away from her parents' notice and she walked up on stage and she sat on this piano bench of this grand piano. She sat on the piano bench and she began playing this very imperfect version of chopsticks. Well, as the pianist, the concert pianist, hurried out to the piano. Everyone expected him to stop the girl, you know, and usher her back to her seat. But instead, he sat right beside her on the piano bench and he began playing this beautiful melody that absorbed her two-fingered chopsticks and turned it into an inspiring masterpiece. That's the God we serve that's the God we serve. God is not this angry, vindictive tyrant sending disease or demanding our obedience, whether we like it or not. No, no, no. We, we know what God is like by looking at Jesus who gave his life for us. God is for us. He is a good, trustworthy God, the Lord of all, who is able to take our failures and our struggles and our imperfect attempts to do life and turn them into a beautiful masterpiece as we surrender to his loving purposes. This is who Jesus is, friends. He is loving and he is Lord. So here's the question. How often do you and I stop in the midst of our stress-filled lives, how often do we stop and just delight in the wonder of who Jesus is and what he means in our lives? How often do we stop to revel in and rejoice in the truth that we belong to him and that he is in charge and he is working all things according to his purposes? You know, honestly, my instinctive response these days when I have a free moment is to grab my phone, right? That's my instinctive response, grab my phone. It's like an addiction that has is, that is only increased over the last six weeks. Seriously, in my life, I feel like it's increased every free moment. 
I'm just looking at my phone. Why do we have to fill every moment with texts and emails and news updates and TikTok videos and whatever? Why do we have to fill our, 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 our every moment with these things when our soul, our soul is longing to focus on something much more glorious and life-giving? What Paul is inviting us into is something we have to intentionally practice. This will not happen automatically. It won't. We have to make the choice to rejoice in the Lord. Now let me offer two really practical ways to apply this. First of all, I strongly encourage us, encourage you and me to spend at least 20 minutes alone with God every day. Now I describe how to do this in a message I did at the first of the year, um, January 4th and 5th. You can get it, go online and, and just look at that message the first um, week of this year. I talked about how to spend 20 minutes with God. Um, in fact, we also are making available a summary handout describing this. Um, you can find that handout on our website or also as a link below this video. You can get that, that handout. So here's the deal. Within this 20 minutes daily, this 20 minute daily time with the Lord, within that time is a perfect opportunity to take a minute or two, to take a minute or two of the 20 minutes and just delight in being in God's presence rejoicing in who he is. I'm not talking about praying or asking for anything or talking or reading. I'm not, in those one or two minutes, I'm not talking about doing any of that. What I'm talking about is just taking one or two minutes and stopping to delight, to ponder who God is and delight in who he is and rejoice in the fact that you belong to Jesus and that he is Lord or you can delight in any other attribute that you're, of God that you're grateful for. Just, just enjoy him. So that's one practical way to be intentional about building this into our lives. But there's another way as well that I wanna, I wanna encourage us to apply. Notice Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul here is describing a way of living he is inviting us to cultivate this continual experience of delighting in the Lord, of taking intentional moments throughout our day to stop and to just turn our heart toward Jesus. I mean, think about this. What would happen, what would happen in our lives if in the middle of our day, maybe even multiple times, but what would happen in the middle of, or in the midst of our lives, if in the middle of our day, right in the midst of the stress uh, and, and the depressing news and the anxiety and, and the sense of loss that we feel, right in the middle of all of that, what if we stopped for one minute we turned off our computer, we put away our phone, we turned off the television, and we chose, for one minute, we chose to turn our heart to God, taking 60 seconds to delight in his love or his mercy or his faithfulness or his power, just allowing him to play his beautiful melody over the two-fingered chopsticks we've been working so hard to compose. There's something refreshingly childlike about this decision to take 60 seconds 
in the midst of our busy lives and letting the reality of who Jesus is touch and fill our hearts with wonder and delight so that we choose to rejoice in him in that moment, quietly expressing our love and our trust in him. You can do this at a stoplight. You can do this between virtual meetings when you have a minute. You can do it when you lay down to go to sleep. There are multiple moments throughout our day where we can choose to do this and the impact will be huge. I truly believe that the more we intentionally embrace what, what author John Eldridge describes as these one, the one minute pause, these one minute pauses, the more we do that, the more peace we will experience in the midst of a storm. And the more joy we will experience in the midst of the mundane. Make the choice to rejoice in the Lord and experience the childlike wonder of living in greater connectedness to him throughout your day. Amen. Let's pray together. So I want to encourage you right now just to, I want to, I want to invite you into a couple of different responses. The Lord may be stirring some things in your heart, and this is the most important part of the message right here. How are we going to respond to this? So I want to invite you into a time of response. There are a couple of, couple of different responses. One, and again, just quiet your heart. But one, we, we talked a moment ago about the wonder of the gospel, where through faith in Christ, you can be adopted into God's family. It's not about you cleaning up your life, trying to make yourself acceptable, trying to be a good person. It's not about any of that. It's not something God forces you to do. It's something he invites, it's a gift he invites you to receive and it's made available through Jesus. So if you would like to be adopted into God's family, if you would like to enter into a relationship with God and become a son or daughter of God through Christ, I wanna lead you in a prayer right now where you can do just that. You can pray in the silence of your heart, you can pray out loud. But pray with me. I'll give you an opportunity to repeat after me. Okay, so here we go. Just pray with me. Dear God, I realize that I'm a sinner and that I'm separated from you. But I don't want to be separated from you. I want to be adopted into your family. I realize there is nothing I can do to earn my way to you. So you did something for me. You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. I choose right now to place my trust in you. And I receive your life. Come live in me through the presence of your Holy Spirit. Forgive all of my sin and come live in me, changing me from the inside out through the power of your love 
Father, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. I pray that they would grow in their relationship with you, this beautiful love relationship that is theirs. It's permanent, it's theirs. Help them grow in that relationship. Now, there's another response that I want, to, I want us to practice right now. I want to invite you to practice. We're going to actually do this one-minute pause idea right now. So if you're comfortable doing so, don't feel any pressure, but if you're comfortable doing so, you're able to do so. I want to lead you in just a, a minute pause to rejoice in the Lord. So I want you to quiet your heart. Just take a moment right now. Just quiet your heart. Take a deep breath. Now, I want you to just think about, just for a moment, think about the fact that because of Jesus, you belong to God. You belong to God. You are his beloved son or daughter. Nothing can change that. So just imagine him enfolding you right now, just enfolding you with his arms of love, maybe in a bear hug, or maybe you sense just him, imagine him more as a mist around you, but how, what, how, how, whatever it is, it, it is like for you in your imagination, just imagine this and think about the fact that he's got you. He's got this situation. Nothing can separate you from his love. So just relax in that reality right now. Enjoy that reality right now. And as you're enjoying this, I want you just to let that stir in your heart a rejoicing in him. Maybe just in the quiet of your heart, you just say, thank you, God. I love you. I delight in you. Just rejoice in him. Okay, now again, you can do that multiple times through the course of your day. Multiple times. It doesn't take long. Just do this. Now, some of you, you may, be, you may, found that, you have, you may have found that really hard to do, which is totally okay. This is going to take practice. I mean, we're not used to slowing down. Even if it is for just 60 seconds, we're not used to slowing down. So be kind to yourself. You will get better at this through practice. I promise you, you'll get better. It is worth it. Just take the time to let your heart rejoice in Jesus. Utilize these minute pauses throughout your day, as well as during your time with the Lord. If you spend time with the Lord, utilize one or two minutes just to enjoy him and rejoice in him. Now, let me also mention one other thing. If you're watching this service on Sunday morning and you have a, a prayer need or you have a question about having a relationship with Jesus or whatever, we have prayer team members available right now to pray with you. Um, and so all you need to do is just text the number on the screen below and one of our prayer team members will reach out to you. 
Let me also mention if you prayed that prayer with me to receive Christ, we have a class that just started, an online class, it's called Alpha. It would be an awesome next step for you to grow in your relationship with Christ. It's a non-judgmental, safe environment for you to explore who Jesus is and how to pray and all those things. So check out our website. You can find out more information about Alpha. Well, let's take time now to rejoice in the Lord and to worship this amazing God as our worship team leads us into his presence.